in three, two, one. Struggling with overwhelm, anxiety, depression, or exhaustion? Ready to reclaim your emotional, mental, and physical health and find joy in your life? Here today to help us avoid, navigate, and overcome burnout without wasting time and energy is professional burnout specialist, Anna Lovell Nesmith. Well, hi, Anna. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Now, where are we speaking to you from today? I live in Oregon. Down in metropolitan Portland, I'm guessing. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. We have one of our team members works out of Oregon and in Portland. It's a good spot. Well, I appreciate you being on the show today. We're talking about burnout and how to avoid, navigate, and overcome burnout. And it's a very interesting subject because it's something we all face regardless where we are in life, whether we're an executive, whether we own our own business, an entrepreneur, or we work for an organization. So let's start. How did you get to this subject, first of all? So give us a little background on Anna and how did you get here? Okay, so I have a bachelor's of science in psychology, and I was wanting to do something with the counseling, but then met it in land. And eventually I was going to go to law school, but that still didn't feel right. And fast forward all these years, and I was still kind of, okay, what do I want to do? And coach, life coach kind of came to light and it felt really right. But a few years ago, our family suffered. So it's kind of a sad story, this part, but our family suffered a really unexpected loss and it was not COVID related or anything. And it was so traumatic. It was my niece's husband and he passed and he was only like 32. And so, and so all his family had to come and my husband and I were just trying to really support both sides of the family make sure that we were the safe place that everybody would come to gather, have meals and just sort of mourn. But anyway, there was this moment where I was mopping and sweeping and just trying to get ready for the next round. And I felt like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I just started to feel overwhelmed, anxious. My kids were not fighting. My dogs weren't wrestling. Nothing externally triggered this emotion of like, I don't know what's happening. There's too much going on. And I just remember thinking, I really wish there was someone who knew what I was going through. And it was just like, I heard this voice come in and say, this is burnout and people go through this all the time and they need support. And whether it was the Holy Spirit or divine intervention, whatever you want to call it, but I took it and I was like, I hear you and I will work for this in this space because it is important. And we've always had it right. And everything has, I mean, anything can trigger burnout, but The fact of the matter is there's not a lot of awareness or support for it. And so when I really felt like that was my vocation, my calling, I was like, I understand what this feels like. And I understand that I wish in that moment there was someone I could look to to say, help me because it wasn't depression. It wasn't standard anxiety. It was unique. It was unique to you. Was there help out there when you started to look? Was there a void and you just didn't see anything around burnout? Yeah, there was no support for burnout. I mean, there's life coaches and there's like executive coaches and there's all these different titles, but burnout has not been an area of focus. I mean, now there are books that you can look up and things like that, but at the time they just weren't there. So sure. sure. And burnout means different things to different people. And we'll, we'll get into that and talk about it. Well, we're glad you found it. And those are the best teachers are the ones who've actually gone through and experienced it. So you're sharing your experience, your formulas, your ways to manage burnout, right? Because that threat's always there. Yeah. Right. The threat's always there. And there's so much that goes into it, whether it's physical, psychological, nutritional, we have to take a holistic approach to it. And we'll get into that. How would you define it? Let's define the terms first. How are we defining burnout? So if we're going to give it a definition, so we know what we're talking about, how would you define it? 
I would define it as like mental, physical, and emotional exhaustion. People who find themselves becoming more irritable, cynical, feeling like there's just no hope or the work that they do is pointless, restless sleep. I mean, there's so many. It's a whole physiological response. So I mean, that's that's kind of it in a nutshell, but there's so much more to it than just that. Is there a way to identify? So we talk about the mental, emotional, and physical perspectives. So what should we be looking for? So on a mental side and emotional side and a physical side, what would be symptoms? What would be signs we would look for? Okay. So on the mental side, it's going to just start having, like I said, the irritability, the darker thoughts, the feelings of like nothing really matters. It doesn't make a difference anyway. Or like, why am I even doing this? Almost complacency, right? The emotional side is like darker thoughts, sadder thoughts, just feeling no joy. And then the physical response is like, you're not eating as well. You're not sleeping as well. You're not maybe taking time to get up and move your body as much because you just feel so exhausted. Yeah. There's lots of things that are taking us away and causing that exhaustion. We look in our work environment, we look at social media, we look at just just the world in general. Like Things were a lot simpler back in the day. Prior to the internet, it was simpler. And we'll talk about that because I think there's some remedies to that that we could be looking at. Now, people don't often seek help with their burnout until they're actually experiencing some of those serious health conditions and problems that you've identified. When's the right time to seek help or make a change? I would say it's important to try to be very aware of yourself because unfortunately, a lot of my clients come to me long after they wound up in the emergency room. And oh, yeah. And then the doctors were unable to diagnose anything. And so they left with no answers, but they could tell something wasn't right. And so they'll find me and they tell me all their symptoms. And I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely burned out. And then they work with me and I take a customized approach. But so far, I have 100% success rate. And I'm very grateful for that because I put a lot of heart and intention behind the work I do with people. And everyone is so different. We've got to make sure that we're really serving them where they are and how we can best help them succeed and overcome that for now and also give them tools for the future. Right. But back to your question, the best way to sort of analyze what burnout looks like when you should seek help is if a month has gone by and you've noticed that you've been feeling off or you feel like your partner or spouse or children or just someone in your life has been asking, are you okay? Are you all right? You just seem like something's not right. Or you seem like you're it's not very happy right now. Or if you're just getting kind of those questions coming at you and it's been about a month's worth or you aren't sleeping well or your body changes or you're feeling like you're just too tired to do anything, I would really encourage someone, anyone to call me or anybody else that they feel like they could get advice from because honestly, oftentimes it's too late when they come right. to me. They've already gone through such a huge response. I'm talking heart attack. I mean, there's huge things that have happened in people's lives that are like, what, how did I get here? You're like in a stage three or stage four burnout condition, which can then lead to massive other issues that come into it, which is interesting because I think the solution, because I want to chat about this, the solution isn't always a logical one. And one that we should be pursuing, it doesn't come intuitively. We have to, we we need a recipe. We need a recipe or formula to get out of that funk, if you will, because we all face burnout. There's different thresholds of burnout, isn't there? In other words, what causes me burnout or feeling burned out might be different from the next person, whatever the reason it could be with our children. If you're a stay at home mom and, or you're raising children and you know, you've raised children and that can be stressful. 
successful and trying to work balance and you've got to maintain a job and work. And if you've got kids staying home from school and now you have to balance your work career, now you have to stay at home. These are all contributors. All right. And sometimes again, the solution it's recognizing, Hey, I'm facing a potential burnout here. How do I stop this? And for me, I looked at it and I go, how do I have time to deal with this? I changed my structure to the first two hours of every day and it's scheduling. And I know you talk about this and we'll get, we'll get into it, but I schedule the first two hours as me time. So from five to seven, sometimes five to seven 30, and I'm out the door in 15 minutes after being up and I get a five mile walk in every day. And I listen to something positive. I don't put the news on. I read with my ears and that sets up my mindset for the day. Now, do I really have an hour and a half or two hours to do that? Not really. There's other things I can be doing. However, what I've noticed by getting those 10,000 steps in, right, and getting those numbers, I was sleeping better. I'm going to bed at 9, 9.30, getting up at 5, getting seven and a half, eight hours, and I never had that before. So by adding activity, I actually added more sleep, which now I'm waking up refreshed. And that refreshed feeling helps me through the day. And I have moments where I feel burned out on the day. If I'm doing interviews all day, then by three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm feeling burned out. I've had enough. I can't get the brain going. But how important are regimen and exercise and nutrition into avoiding burnout or helping with it. They do have a factor. I mean, it is important to always take care of ourselves and drink enough water and eat the right foods and get the right amount of sleep. But all this stuff is easier said than done, especially during burnout, right? And so right, right. as much as we can strive for that, those things are some of the first things to start being when you are so overwhelmed and exhausted. I mean, the idea of even getting up at 5 a.m. seems unrealistic because it's like right. you're not even sleeping well throughout the night, right? And so to your point as well, what I do appreciate about what I do with clients is that I don't ask them for hours of extra time in their day. I give them bite-sized homework is what I call it so that they can use tangible goals that really help them initiate what they need to do to help navigate whatever situation it is for that week. That's really causing them a lot of angst and burnout and just extra frustration. So it's bite-sized stuff, but it's powerful. It's all really powerful. Otherwise it wouldn't work. And when we're in yeah. burnout, the last thing we have is extra time. It feels that way. Can you give us an example of a homework assignment? So let's say you were talking with me and I said to you, I say yes too often. And I know you talk about this as what's the most pressing thing here? Like what's the most urgent thing that I have to get done? And I schedule. So I always dump my brain out at night. What's important? And I try and let go of stuff and say no. I say no instead of saying yes. But if you were going to give a homework assignment, what's an example of a homework assignment that you might give? So with your example that you just gave me, I would say what I would encourage you to do is practice the power of the pause. And so what that means is if someone's asking you to do something or take another task on, I would ask you to pause and just take a minute to count to three in your mind and take a deep breath. And in those three seconds, think, can I actually take this on? Right. Because our minds are so fast. I mean, three seconds really is quick. really. Mm -hmm. And with that little bit of buffer, your response will be truly, will it serve you? Can you serve them or not? And you're going to also right. feel empowered to say yes, because then you truly can commit to that and rise to the occasion. Or you can say not right now or no, because you know, in that moment, when you really thought about it, that you couldn't take it on. So then you're going to really preserve yourself. And also honor the relationship with the person that asked you to take that on because they're going to value the fact that it mattered more to you, that you would be able to fully commit rather than take too much on and compromise the integrity of whatever it is that you were going to try and spread yourself too thin for. Power of the pause. I love it. That sounds good. 
This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C, and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. Active Campaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Anna Lovell Nesmith. How important or how much of a contributing factor is multitasking to feeling overwhelmed? Our society is built on we have to do more with what we have. We're working on our computers. The email ding goes off. We immediately check them. We're checking social media. And to me, I find that stressful. So for me, those are chores and they're interruptions, distractions. So what I try and do, which has really helped out significantly is I'll, I use a focus app that shuts off everything on the computer, no emails, no dings. And I put some music on, I put the headphones on and I put on something that I, I couldn't even tell you what the music is because it's just in the background, and, but it might be something gentle. It's not, you know, whatever your favorite music is, it's really just to block out everything. And then what I do is I focus in about 50 minute chunks. So I'll do 50 minutes with zero interruption and I get a lot done. Usually I I can get a whole day's worth by 11 o'clock in the morning. And I do the most important thing I can before noon. And I allow that cushion. Are there things we can do tactically in order to reduce that burnout? So saying no, power of the pause is good. What about in our schedule or in our actual work environments? What can we do to remove that and stay focused on task without getting the burnout feeling? Yeah. And you actually really described that beautifully. Exactly what you do is oftentimes what I encourage a lot of my clients to do. And it's like, you didn't say it, but you are doing it. But I encourage them to prioritize by impact. So get the Mm, most important things done quickly. And first, not quickly, but first. And then after that, you can focus on the secondary stuff, right? Because if the, the most impactful stuff is done, it gives you a chance to breathe throughout the day. The other thing I oftentimes encourage people to do is exactly what you said. Because when we are in burnout, we become very reactive. So when that email goes off, when tech comes through, when the phone's ringing, you're quick to be like, oh my goodness, let me check this. Let me answer this. Let me respond to that. And it's that reaction state. And so oftentimes that's what burnout really looks like is you're just like a ping pong ball bouncing because you're reacting to everything around you. And so what I tell my clients to do is use a timer. And it's basically what you said you do with your 50 minutes, but that's exactly what it is. Because some people say, well, I have so many emails coming in that if I don't respond, their clients get very upset with them. And I tell them, okay, but if you can find a window of time that lets you feel peace while you work, knowingly that you can get back to those emails. So for some people, I tell them, work straight for a half hour, put your timer on, tell yourself you will get back to that phone call, that email or that text in 30 minutes no one's going to go irate or lose it if you need 30 minutes to get back to them. And just that simple awareness of you have a window of time to work and then you can respond. It completely shifts the way we feel about what we need to do and how we can focus to do what we need to do. 
No, that's important. That's a good insight is set the structure and the time. I found when I feel overwhelmed, I look at my emails and I get 150 to 200 plus a day. And I have apps that filter out this and put them into categories and go through. That's when I start getting stressed out and overwhelmed. And if I miss a day because I'm in production, now I've got 300 I've got to deal with and the stress starts to mount. What you know, I try and tell our clients and the people we work with is email by its nature is not urgent. And so I've even started to put on autoresponder where it goes, hey, thanks for your email. I check my emails twice a day, noon and 4.30. If it's an emergency, call this number. Well, guess how many times in 25 years they called? Zero. They don't call. Not when it's an email inquiry. So by its nature, it's not urgent. But when we get the ding, it's like Pavlov's dog. We immediately go and the tasks take longer. So when people say, well, I don't have time. Well, yeah, you do. You just got to prioritize those activities. What are the high value activities and to your point, any other tools that you would recommend or strategies for coping with it? Like a lot of times it's meetings. We have tasks. We have things that we have to do within an organization or our boss demands things of us. Any other things that we can do where we can start to really, hey, this is causing me burnout or to disengage so that I recover. So maybe by Friday, I'm feeling really burned out. And then the other aspect I want to do is people self-medicate. We come home and you immediately start that first glass of wine or the martini you usually have Friday night is now on Monday night. And that leads to Tuesday night, Wednesday, where we develop some habits that we're self-medicating in which to chill, disengage, and relax. And you're out in Oregon there where they grow really funny, wacky herbs and things like that. But people use those things to medicate, to disengage, to shut it off, to get rid of those feelings. But those aren't healthy solutions. Mm -mm. No, you're absolutely right. And so when we find ourselves running from one thing to the next, especially when it's like in-person meetings and you have to present or be on point, I always encourage people, listen, take a big breath. You're going to find yourself looking at the clock, watching the clock to get to that meeting to make sure you show up. But before you walk through that door, before you hop on the Zoom, before anything, take a beat and just take a big breath and try to just consciously just let out all the rush right? Rushing from this, rushing to that. watching the mm-hmm. And again, these are little tiny things that are so impactful because no one has extra time for a ton of homework, right? But taking that beat alone, and that's like what, maybe half a second, maybe a second. But if you're really trying to focus on like filling your lungs up as much as you can, and then expressing your lungs as much as you can, and then hopping on that call or hopping into that meeting, you're going to walk in with such a different mindset and a whole physiological response as well. Cause our blood pressure goes up when we're stressed out and our heart beats yeah. faster and it feels bad. And then you start to feel like that's another problem. It's own anxiety. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Slowing it down. That's a good, that's one I've recently discovered actually. And I've always been quick. I always achieve a lot in a short period of time. Not always to the best quality that it can be because there's so much to accomplish. And so what I'm learning to do is slow down the cadence of my work. and focus on the, which is what you're talking about, taking those pauses and even hopping in the car and going to go get groceries or go do something. A lot of times I'm zipping along there. I'm 10 miles above the speed limit. I'm maximizing what I think it takes to be productive. And what I've learned to do now is I'm just slowing down. No, I'm just going to do the speed limit. And because if we're so focused going fast, Mm -hmm. we're reacting to that versus enjoy it. Instead of news, I'm going to throw on some music and I'm going to chill and I'm going to make the experience a fun day. Yeah. And so, like I say, cadence is the best way I would describe it is to slow that down just a beat to your point and take a breath and breathe it and get through it. And when I run out of steam, I run out of steam. And I try and do the most important things early because later in the afternoon, I'm running out of steam. I always have the idea, well, tonight I'm going to work on the emails. I'll do this. And sometimes I do. 
But most of the time, it's like, nope, that can wait till tomorrow. And most of the time, things go away. Things that aren't so urgent disappear. But if you're a perfectionist or you're one who can't say no, we tend to deal with that. You raise a good point, though, at work. Do you think it's an employer's responsibility to watch for signs of burnout and intervene where possible? Or is the onus on the employee? Well, that's a tricky question because the awareness is what it comes down to. So I did a post a few weeks ago. And I don't know if you saw it, but there was this picture I had of a woman. She was working at a computer. It was all white, pristine, looked very just easy, right? Right. Quiet. But then underneath that picture, I had destruction, buildings that crumbled, storms happening. And so on the outside, burnout's not always able to see, right? So if the employer isn't noticing that the employee has changed because it's like sometimes there's a lot of shame associated with burnout. And a lot of people don't think they should or can say, I'm stressed out. I need a day off. So then they're just trying to compartmentalize and push forward, right? A lot of times people say, if I can just get through this meeting, if I can just get through this project, if I can just X, Y, Z. So then the employer is thinking, okay, I think they're all right. But on the inside, the employee might be freaking out naturally as burnout does. Now that being said, if the employee starts to show up late, call in more often, starts to physically look like they're not well, I think it is the employer's responsibility to take a moment and just check in and say, I've noticed that you've called in more often. I've noticed that you've shown up late. I noticed that your productivity is low. I've seen that you aren't as joyful as you used to be or humorous or whatever the trigger is. How are you? Is there something we can do for you? Is there something going on at home? This in the background. Is there a loss that your family has? You know what I mean? Just taking that yeah. moment to check Staying in. connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, too, if the employee is feeling this way and they haven't shared it, I think it's important for the employee to feel empowered to say, I'm really having a hard time right now. Like, what do our benefits have that I can utilize? Is there counseling? Is there... Yeah, I think being proactive is what you're saying. And if we're paying attention to our team members and our employees, checking in with them, even if what we're seeing isn't always the case, as we know, we all wear those masks. And a lot of times work is the distraction from something that might be causing burnout at home or on the family side. Work might be our therapy or our escape, right? Depending on what we're doing. And one thing unique to America or North Americans is we work too hard. If you've traveled to Europe, South America, different places, and I've been many, many different countries, the value we put on work and product activity. And I mean, there's the benefit of that, of course, but I think the pendulum has just moved way off the charts. I think, for instance, I'm all for a four-hour work week. Now, I try and get at least four or, or four-day work week, beg your pardon, four hours would be really nice. And, <laughs> and there's a good book on that one too. Um, but if we can work four days, and for me, I'd rather put in 12-hour days and then take Friday off. I might go golfing with my wife on a Friday or make it an easier day, a cleanup day. I don't mind going hard for four days, but then I want to take time off. But then I find as an entrepreneur, Saturday morning, I'm working on the bookkeeping aspect of the work. And I make sure I do things on the weekend that are not my weekday tasks, just so it freshens it up, or I work on new technology, or I try and freshen it up so it's fun, or a hobby. And I want to pick a hobby and that's usually Sunday morning, or I might pick up a guitar in an evening or with my wife and she plays guitar, whatever it is, distracts. We're not just sitting home, pouring a glass of wine, sit in front of the TV for the next four hours. And because we find time for those things, or we're answering emails and we're not disengaging. Or if you travel a bit, you see that people take CSs in the middle of the afternoon. What's the power of a siesta, right? And our culture, I think we need to change that, don't you? Yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely think that you are right. And I agree with you. But I would say that the 12 hour workday to compensate for the one day off a week is not any better, right? It's not not good to know. So is there a time, a day, a number of hours in a day that the data shows this is your most productive time after that, you're kind of spinning your wheels? Well, I mean, it just depends on the kind of work you're doing. I don't remember the exact quote, but our minds can only retain, like someone's trying to teach you something, or if you're in a training, or if you're trying to create a project, we can only do that very well for being like they said, 45 minutes. A lot of us can push to 90 minutes and still be really productive and have engaged and focused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, beyond that, we need a break because we can only take in so much because not only are we taking in what we're trying to focus on, but there's all the other things around us, the person walking by the sound over here. I mean, our mind is so fast and it listens to everything around us. And so it almost is a defense mechanism that we cannot take in anymore after about 90 minutes because we need to get up and take a break and get some water or go to the bathroom or whatever it is that we need to do to get out of that space. Because otherwise, Mm. I mean, we've all been there where whether it was in a class where we were studying for or training at work where you hit a spot where you're like, oh, I'm not even able to listen anymore. It's funny you say that. I try like multitasking is something I've worked to avoid and get focused on tasks. So I told you I do that in 50 minute increments. And the science shows 47 to 52 minutes work, go take 15, 20 minutes, go do something else, take a disengage in a break. But then I find that there's certain activities that you can do where you can multitask. So for instance, when I mentioned to you, I walk. If I'm walking with you and we're walking at three miles an hour, it's a slow walk. (laughs) I can be conversational. Mm -hmm. If we're running, if you and I are jogging and I say to you, what's two plus two, you're going to go four. But if I say, what's 27 times 14, you'll stop because now you're having to think and do the math. But if I ask you something we're running, that's already in your database and you already kind of know you're, you're good to go. So I, I recommend multitasking for if you're going to exercise in your work. And what happens generally is that energy changes it. When we get done with this interview, I've got gym scheduled for an hour and I've already done my walk today, but three times a week, I'll go hit the gym and push some weights, right? And do some things that way to try and work on activity. But I'm listening to something when I do it. So I'm listening to something not too important, not too urgent. It could also just be music. Sometimes I just crank on some music and enjoy. And when I come back, I'm refreshed. I've had my protein drinks. Nutrition's huge. So I look at nutrition, strength, and activity in order to deal with the burnout. And I found that those are three ingredients or pillars of success to my avoiding burnout. And because I know what the feeling looks like. Being overwhelmed is part of life, right? My wife and I raised seven children. And so we had five different schools at one time. Like literally she's going one direction. I'm going another one. And you had twin boys. And so that's work. Plus you're being a professional. Plus you're working. Plus you're running a household. Plus you're not sleeping. Plus you can see how it happens in our society. What's the most common tool you see or the most common example you see, you've worked with lots of professionals and I know you have very different varieties of specialties. You work with accountants and CPAs and any professionals would work, anyone really who suffers from potential burnout. Yeah. Is there a common theme that you see? Is there a common thread that you see throughout all of those instances of burnout? Mostly it's the idea that they've completely lost themselves. The joy in their work is gone. I mean, a lot of the people I've worked with have been business owners or if they're not the owners, they're executive level. So they've always had a passion for what they've done with their job, their work. They've always felt that that was really rewarding for them. And when they come to me, they are just so exhausted and overwhelmed that life seems stagnant and like there's no hope and they've lost themselves and they don't know where or how to get back. And they're just feeling so out of touch and just very sad and just a feeling of like, almost hopelessness. And that's where they they come to me. There's lots of tears that are shed oftentimes because they're just like, I don't know 
I don't know, like what's wrong with me kind of idea, you know, but there's nothing wrong with them. It's just that they need to get support. So do you see a difference with the different genders? Do men do it differently than women? You talk about men being fixers. We like to fix problems. Hey, honey, you came to the right man. I'm Superman. I'll fix your problem. What's your problem? And most of the time it's not about fixing. It's just about listening and understanding. I remember I read a book one time, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Well, I came home one day and it was sitting on my pillow. So I I assumed it was mandatory reading. He says, shut up and listen, quit solving the problem. And my five daughters say the same thing that I'll figure it out. They just want to vent. They just want to talk. So inventing is an important part of letting off the steam too, isn't it? That's right. Yes. Yes. And sometimes I think that the men, they don't vent. It takes them a little bit, right? Because naturally it's like, okay, we're just going to come with a solution, right? We're macho too. We're macho. We want to show you how tough we are. Yeah. And so oftentimes, like I said, I customize my approach, but not everything that I would do for like the women are good with journaling, but some of the men enjoy journaling too. I mean, the journal stuff that I offer, the suggestions and the techniques, it's not your typical journaling it's really intentional and short right very little right but five ten minutes you could get it yeah 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 and so sometimes some men are like that that's just right up their alley it's intuitive for them and others they would rather just go and have like a physical outlet right right working out or space sports or recreational sure a combination of all of those we're always going to be bombarded by millions and billions of bytes of information on a daily basis all trying to get our attention That's and right. it's as bad as it's ever been and i don't think it's getting better we often think of burnout as working too much or too hard but you actually have talked about how being laid off could lead to burnout yeah explain that unpack that a little bit so the reaction of a layoff is well, so many things, right? But especially if you are the breadwinner or if you're just a person who doesn't like to sit idle and you want to get back to work as quickly as possible, the unknown can trigger burnout. How long will you be without work? Hurry up and find a job. Like if this is all the subconscious script happening in your mind, then these are going to be the things that push you to burnout because there is that sense of urgency that doesn't have to be there. It just feels that way because your whole world was just shaken essentially. Right. And so, and a lot of people, they put their identity with their profession. And so when it's raw, it feels like, oh my gosh, what now? Am I even good enough for the industry anymore? And so there's so right. many, I mean, there's so many emotions that come with it, conscious and subconscious, but then the actual physical act of applying for a job, updating the resume, filling out the applications, waiting for the phone call, taking the interview, did the job come through? You have to wait. No, you didn't get it, right? Or you got it, but then it was like such a low offer. It was like not going to compensate for the salary that they had before. But there's so many emotions that can come with it. And all of that can expedite burnout quickly. No, that makes sense. And it could be going through a divorce because half of the population is going to go through that. That can create burnout. You're trying to work, you're trying to function, trying to think, and the emotions can take over as well. So it's creating a structure and a regimen to be able to manage that. And I think you spend a lot of time on that. Now you work with a lot of professionals like CPAs, bookkeepers, tax accounts, and so forth. Pretty high stress jobs, lawyers. What would you say, let's use accountants. What would you say to a classroom of first year accountants or CPAs or any student entering into a high stress career path? What would be the lesson you teach them in year one at school? Well, I would say do your best and try use the integrity, have full commitment to the process, but detach from the outcome. So you can guide, if you're going to tell your client, this is what you need to do to prepare your taxes. I need this document. I need this and I need that. But if the client isn't going to give the necessary documents, even though they're going to come at the accountant and say, you didn't do this and my account, and now I owe taxes and 
all these other things, the young accountant needs to have the awareness that that's part of that job is oftentimes people, and especially with money, they get very emotional, but they've got to have a boundary to not internalize that. And it's very challenging, but they can't internalize that like it's their fault. So they have to be able to detach from the outcome of whatever is going to happen with that client and their taxes for that year. Detach from the outcome. Don't be emotionally attached to that. And you're right, though. People are going to submit their papers April 14th and yeah. expect everything to be done back to them in a package on April 15th. Talk to me about the mind and body connection and how it can be used as a tool for this kind of stress management. Okay. So it is important to pay attention to our mind and body. Because if we're not aware of our thoughts, our body will tell us. And that's where that anxiety feeling comes from. Or oftentimes what we are thinking and the stress that we're feeling will manifest in our body. So in our shoulders, in the stomach, in the neck, like the pains that people get. When they say, I'm really stressed out, my neck is like really hurting me. Or I'm so stressed out, my shoulders are tight. Or I'm really stressed out, like my stomach is killing me. That is where that's manifesting. So if you're not paying attention to your thoughts that are on overdrive and overwhelm and reaction and you're just bouncing around and you're trying so hard, but you're feeling negative and you're feeling like what you're doing isn't mattering. You're more cynical. You're more irritated. Your body's going to respond to all of that. And if you don't hear, if you're not able to take a beat long enough to listen to your thoughts or check in, your body's going to scream at you and tell you we're not well, right? Like your knee might start hurting. The engine light's coming on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's important when you have a headache, we know we can take an aspirin, we can take some Advil, we can take a Tylenol. We've got two, three remedies that work or drink some water and however you want to do that. When it comes to feeling overwhelmed and stressed out because we're facing burnout, one solution works for one person is different from someone else. And so why is it important that we customize a support plan, if you will, for each individual? on an individual basis or a bespoke basis. And it's definitely in response to that person's what they feel in alignment with for them, for their lifestyle. Are they right. a single person or do they have a family? Do they own their business? What does their day-to-day look like? And when we can take time to, when I just hear what their life looks like, then I'm able to really customize it because like I said, not everything will serve the same person, right? And some right. people, they don't feel like, the idea of journaling is impactful at all. And if they're so in a space of like, no, journaling is not something I care about, then why would I want to encourage them to journal, right? right. And I don't encourage all of my clients to journal. I just don't. If it serves them, yeah. I will. One size isn't fitting everybody, right? Or one remedy exactly. isn't, right? Hmm. Well, when people are feeling overwhelmed, it can feel impossible to take on more, more duties or tasks. How much time commitment and commitment is needed to focus on learning new techniques and putting them into practice with your program and your coaching? So somebody engages with you and they develop a plan. So I'm assuming your process is we meet, we talk, I tell you the story, you ask me a bunch of questions, and then you develop a game plan for me that will work within my framework, with my constraints, within my boundaries. And then it's a check-in time or process. How does it normally work with you? What's your process like? Okay. So the sweet spot I have found is 12 weeks is where we start. Sometimes people need longer if they're really severely burnt out, but it's dependent on how they are. But no matter where they come from, we always begin at a 12 week space. I've I've done this. I've worked with this for quite some time and the 12 weeks is a sweet spot, right? It's long enough where they they have the support and they find the rhythm and make it part of the routine, but not too much time where they're like, I don't want to commit to a year. It's overwhelming. Just the commitment's overwhelming. Yeah, exactly. And then what we do is we just do a check-in on like Monday or Tuesday, they get to choose. It's up to them. And then I offer homework for the week and then a check-in Thursday or Friday, again, up to them. 
How did that homework serve you? How are you feeling? Okay, here's your homework for the weekend. And I call it homework, but really it's just bite-sized impactful things that we can do. They're just going to shift the whole week. And that's why we also do the 12 weeks because we both know, I think the quote is it takes like 45, 60 days to create a new habit. Oh yeah. I think the 90 days is a good way to create a new habit, new activities, change the physiology. If you're working out, we go to the gym. If you stick with it and you're with your trainer in 90 days, you could be down 20 pounds, easy 25 pounds and down a bunch of sizes and looking great. We spend years developing bad habits that get us into a position of being overwhelmed. 90 days is nothing in the scheme of things, right? right? So you're getting rid of that baggage. So the average person puts on four to six pounds a year. Well, how much weight are we putting on ourselves in our tasks and are being overwhelmed? So we have to go on a diet of some sort. And that means reconstructing our food habits, how we think about things, but the same thing from a work perspective, what's really important. And is that really important to the big outcome? Now you said you have a hundred percent success rate. Yeah. After 90 days, and some people might be longer, and you'll know with each individual is a little different based on their circumstance. What's usually the transformation that occurs? What do you see typically when you get them? And then what do you see coming out the other end of the funnel? When I first get them, like I said, they're just depleted, right? Void of all joy, void of all happiness, or even confidence oftentimes as well. But sure. when we're done, it's like their spark is back. Their passion is back. They feel like they can trust themselves again. They're appreciating the things that they once forgot that they used to love to do. They're finding that joy in life again. Really, a lot of times I describe it joy. They all get that joyfulness back and that purpose. And that's another thing is like that sense of purpose and like life is good, right? It's supposed to be good. Sometimes we forget. And so when we're done, it's like they look brighter. They're definitely changed, but they're lighter. Yeah. Even the way they look physically is changed. I mean, this is a true statement and it's just beautiful to see the transformation. It's amazing. Yeah. Happiness, joy, confidence. I can see that. I can see that. And it's interesting because circumstances can change that too. I've always been hardworking, driving all the time, baby boomer. We just constantly work, right? And being productive. And that's one of our things is how productive can we be? When the pandemic hit, I saw the house of cards fall in a week. My business, it's recession proof, but it's not pandemic proof. And everything I'd worked for just came to a screeching halt. We've had to revamp and rebuild that up. So there was a feeling of being overwhelmed at that point. And then it was like, all right, wait a minute now, maybe there's opportunity here. And how do we create freedom and openness and actually become more productive by working actually less? And it doesn't fit in our head, but we can actually work on. And for me, what I did is I just looked at what do I do well? What don't I do well? And I'm going to focus on doing more of what I do well, less of what I don't do well and delegate that out and just take those times for personal rejuvenation. And I think we should have as much rejuvenation time as we do work time personally. It's like when you go on vacation, if we're going on vacation for two weeks, what's the day look like before you leave on vacation? You don't want those days very often, right? And then the first few days on vacation, you're laying on the beach thinking of all the things that you didn't get done that need to get done versus just letting it go. So I think it's something to pay attention to before it becomes a problem. So when people recognize it, we want to try and get there first. What's the best way for people to engage with you, Anna? Everything I do, they can either email me at thehappinesseffect at gmail.com or LinkedIn is like my live website. I don't have a website because when I did, no one cared. So, so when I, so when I, did, I, when I, I totally understand that, that, yeah. Yeah. So when I yeah. shut that down and put all my effort into LinkedIn, I mean, it's just thriving and it's real time too. You get to see where we're at. You get little tools and you can just send me a message on there and I respond right away. 
We'll have all of that information on the show notes. The topic is burnout. You are a burnout specialist and how we can avoid, navigate, and overcome burnout. This has been really informative, good stuff. And thanks so much for being our guest today and sharing some insights on what we can do to avoid burnout. And if we're in burnout, how do we get out of it? And I think you're a great advocate for that. And obviously I have a great system for dealing with it. So Anna, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.